and then make. Well, let's just see what we say out loud. Yeah, yeah, okay. All let's right. Just whatever comes out. Yeah. <clears throat> that's a, that's the approach that I've taken for the last five years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in F1's Biggin Hill and my kitchen table. It's F1 Nation with Tom Clarkson and me. On the season finale, Ross Braun on a year like no other. Rosanna Tennant returns to review the season and in State of the Nation, we reveal the things that didn't quite go to plan. And now it's time for the incredibly lengthy Abu Dhabi Grand Prix highlights. Lights out and we are underway. Good getaway for Max Verstappen. Covers off Valtteri Bottas and maintains the lead. Max Verstappen wins. He takes the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. And that, in a nutshell, was the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. It wasn't the best race of the year. Although I have to say, I was delighted to see uh, Max Verstappen put in such a dominant performance. He was really strong all weekend, but no overtaking and just no on-track battles. Went out with a bit of a bit of a damp squib to end the season. What do you think, AJ? I don't know what you're talking about. Abu Dhabi under the lights, 21 corners, 20 drivers, thrill a minute. Please redesign that racetrack. Abu Dhabi do. It is time to redraw that course, but we can't keep going to such an amazing venue and getting a race that people know isn't going to work. We've had so many Grand Prix there now. We know the current configuration doesn't work for Formula One. Abu Dhabi, the Emirate pay a lot of money to have that Grand Prix. They love having the season finale. It is time to redraw that racetrack. Well, what would you do? You're making it sound so simple. But I mean, there's not much room to change the first sector, really. You can get rid of five and six and you can create an opportunity into the hairpin by moving the hairpin forward. I'd say keep seven and eight, but turn 11 desperately needs to change because it's a fast chicane followed by a fast chicane. Probably needs to be far more of a stop. Maybe an old style Manny Core hairpin which would allow the drivers to really just haul on the anchors and send one to the inside and then open up that final sector. Not that I've been debating this all week on the PLC. <laughs> you clearly have. Yeah. Open up but- the final sector. They want it to be a Monaco-like final sector. Well, make the barriers the limit of the track then. Speed that up because the uh, final part of the lap is where it destroys the tyres. It does. It does destroy the tyres. Amount of um, track limits indiscretions we had uh, at the end of the lap there as well I mean Lewis Hamilton everybody was doing it I agree but if you bring the barriers right up to the edge of the track that is a solution I I wonder if you just did that and didn't change the layout whether we'd get a different race we'll send that (laughs) clip off to Herman Tilke who will be like who are these people (laughs) nation what (laughs) the big talking point was McLaren reaching P3 they were delighted Uh, disappointment for Racing Point who see it slip through their fingers when the car was was fast enough And McLaren found a way to chip away at it all season long. And they have, with two great drivers, taken the team back to their highest uh, position since they were last Grand Prix winners back in 2012. Yeah, and I think they are an example of an outfit that is maximizing its opportunities on both cars. Every race, Carlos Sainz has been sensational. And I think uh, Lando Norris has uh, grown as a driver and found even greater consistency in the races. This isn't the third fastest car. The McLaren is not the third fastest car. The not Racing Point is the third fastest car. So for them to have mugged Racing Point uh, at the last race is, is a sensational effort. And I'm really excited to see what McLaren can do with the Mercedes in the back. I, I, I worry that, I hope that it's not, this isn't the best we're going to see of Racing Point for a few years because I think McLaren are going to get more competitive. I think Renault with Fernando Alonso are going to get more competitive. And um, let's just hope that Sebastian Vettel goes to Racing Point slash Aston Martin next year and finds the motivation and the old Seb that we saw in 2013. Otherwise, it's going to be hard for them, I think. AJ, before we move on, so the Grand Prix was, what, an hour and 40? What did you talk about? Basically warmed up for this podcast. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what I talked about. The great thing about the Pit Lane channel is three boxes. So you're not always stuck talking about one thing. Uh, you can bounce around. Big shout out as well to Esteban Ocon, 
The thing I have loved about F1 TV's pit lane channel is that we can show you two things at once. And as Lando Norris was coming over the line to help seal McLaren's P3 in the Constructors' Championship, uh, Esteban Ocon was getting past Lance Stroll, and it was one final time of being able to see two things happening at once thanks to that incredible broadcast team. It's the little team. We know it has been a side channel, but the people that dedicated their years uh, over the last few years to building that up, it was one final reward. Two things at once. It's what you always get on the PLC. Ah, you're selling it well, AJ. Oh, they're going to miss you next year. But it's funny, isn't it, how we see overtakes on the last lap. Ocon on, on stroll, as yes. you say. And then last year, Sainz, didn't he? He pulled a fantastic move. And Sergio Perez well. around the outside of yes. Lando Norris one year ago. You know a Grand Prix's not been a cracker when we're referring to the previous year. <laughs> yeah. Or the biggest talking point in the Grand Prix was, was Carlos Sainz driving too slowly in the pit lane. Anyway, there we go. We've ended the season. Great result for Max Verstappen. I came away with a feeling of what might have been. When you see Red Bull dominate a Grand Prix like that, yes, there was talk of Mercedes having to turn down their engines because of a, a dodgy M MG UK. But speaking to Andrew Shovlin, friend of the show, Andrew Shovlin, after the race, he said that was costing them less than a tenth of a second the way they were dealing with that. So Mercedes done on performance in Abu Dhabi. Um, they, they arguably lost the race on Saturday because if you start from pole, it's a huge advantage there. But, you know, you go to Sakir previous weekend. I think Max would have fought hard for the victory there if he hadn't been taken out. Then you can go back to, let's say, certainly Portugal, I feel, is another race that went missing for him. Mugello, I think, again, there's been lots of missed opportunities for Max Verstappen. So if they can start strong next year, Red Bull, I mean, hey, let's big up next year, AJ. I think Red Bull can challenge on the evidence of what we saw at the weekend in Abu Dhabi. Let's hope so. Let's hope that we get what has been bubbling under for so many years now, the prospects of Hamilton versus Verstappen. I think it'd be great for Lewis Hamilton. I think he'd relish it. And I want to see... Verstappen go to a title decider against Lewis Hamilton. Too many times, it's just flashes of brilliance. We want to see a season-long campaign from a team that we know is capable of it in Red Bull Racing. Well, when this podcast began on May the 1st of this year, our very first guest on the podcast was Managing Director of Motorsport for Formula One, Ross Braun. And we decided if we started with Ross, why not finish with him as well? Ross, when we reflect on 2020, how do you sum it all up? I think it's um, a brilliant example of how Formula One in times of crisis pulls together as a complete family. We spend most of our lives, at least I did when I was competing, in trying to destroy each other. And then we get faced with a situation like this and Formula One comes together and excels. I'm just really proud of what everyone was able to do this year because it seemed an almost impossible task when I look at things were when we started this, this adventure. Yeah, really proud. Now, when we last spoke to you on the show back in May, how confident were you of getting a 17 race championship together? Well, I think the thing that none of us really understood is what would happen if we started to get an outbreak, how it would be managed, could we control it, could we limit it? You know, none of us know enough about the dynamics of this disease and how it spreads and the rudimentaries are known, but the subtleties aren't known. I mean, how, how long do you need to be in the company of an infected person and what do you need to do around them to become infected yourself? So all those things were uncertain. You know, we simply didn't know how it would develop. And I think when we had our first positive cases, that was the anxious time to know whether they could just be limited and whether the systems and protocols we put in place would be sufficient to contain the, the outbreaks, which it did prove to be the case. I think everyone was pretty diligent in Formula One. I think we had to be on our guard as we progressed because, you know, it, uh, it was easy to get complacent and easy to drop your guard. But um, I think the protocols we put in place, the face masks, pretty rigorous wearing of face masks, social distancing, bubbles, uh, it did mean that when we had cases, they didn't escalate and become uncontrollable. And I think that was, that was a key barrier for me 
for us to get through to know we could actually manage it because it would be unrealistic to think we wouldn't have cases. But when we got them, how were we going to deal with them and could we contain them? Well, what is it? 76,000 tests, 76 positive cases. 78. 78. <laughs> <laughs> slightly, slightly over one in a thousand. Yeah. Um, and it's fascinating to look at those cases because we had three drivers, which is kind of disproportionate out of 20 drivers. And that's something you've got to think about. So three out of 20 drivers tested positive, whereas for the rest of the Formula 1 population, one in a thousand tested positive. So that's something we, we need to think about. Of those 78 that were positive, quite a number were track workers or people associated in the country we were in. I think the worst outbreak cluster we had was when, in fact, a translator caught us out in one of the countries because he was working with a group of people translating for them. Then, of course, he came into contact with them and we suddenly had a little first cluster. But we quickly got on to that. So very few outbreaks, I have to say, amongst the teams. You know, the numbers within the teams, the mechanics, the engineers, etc., was very low. Interesting, interesting um, exercise to study the data and look at. And I know some of the most diligent people in Formula 1 got caught out. Don't know where it came from. You know, we're not going to go into next year with a switch turn. Do we going to have to carry on? and learn from what we've learned this year and be as diligent because the vaccines aren't going to become effective until sometime during the year in terms of numbers. Uh, so we're going to need to continue testing. We're going to need the testing regime may change. The methodology may, may change, but um, we're, we're going to have another year undoubtedly of, um, uh, of having to be super diligent and apply the protocols again. Okay. Now, can I talk to Ross Braun? the racing enthusiast now. I want to ask you, let's break down the season. And if I say to you, driver of the year, who would you say? I think it has to be Lewis. And, and I say it has to be in the sense that, you know, he, he's you know, set a new benchmark in terms of world championships. And, and I think it's very easy for people to assume that he had the best car. So it was an easy, easy exercise. And it was far from the case. I mean, he definitely won races he shouldn't have won. Um, you know, we think of Turkey, um, probably the most difficult race of the year. And he sat there quietly getting on with it until the opportunity came to pounce. And there he was, he won the race. He just endorsed what we all already knew, that he was a, he's a truly exceptional driver. Definitely in the, you know, the higher echelons of the Schumachers and the Senners and... Uh, he's in that group. There's no doubt about it. Any honourable mentions for other drivers who you've been impressed by? Yeah, I, I thought Max uh, matured very well this year. I think he, um, you know, if we think back to Max of a couple of years ago, he was pretty unlucky this year, I have to say. I mean, you know, there were a couple of times the car didn't quite... Uh, and um, he got caught up in accidents which were not his fault. And uh, we were deprived of seeing some great races from him. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic with the group of drivers we have that we're going to have some great races in the future, particularly when we can try and uh, improve the cars, the cars' behaviour and the competitiveness of the teams and the ability to follow. And we saw today uh, in Abu Dhabi how difficult it was uh, for the drivers once they got within a few seconds of a car in front, uh, how challenging it was. So they needed a big performance differential to get past. Um, so you know, we've got a really great run of drivers. I think we're all massively excited with George Russell getting in the Mercedes. That was a fairy story. It didn't quite happen, but I don't think any of us will forget that. A few drivers bowed out this year. Perez, who uh, won his first race. I mean, we've had some great stories this year. And, and the other added element to it is we've visited some great tracks. I'm particularly... Again, proud of, of the second Bahrain because it shows in a way that, that you can have a great race even if the track doesn't, isn't an obviously great track. That sounds a contradiction, but sometimes, you know, on the great tracks, the Spas or the Silverstones, you know, the drivers love it, but it doesn't give a lot to the spectator apart from admiring the performance of the cars and what the spectators want is competition. 
And so in the second Bahrain race, we really condensed the competition down. And, um, and there was all sorts of uh, concerns. And I was anxious, I must admit, before we got there, because it was quite different. But it served up a great race, a very entertaining race. I think everyone agreed that afterwards. Do you think we'll go back to somewhere like the outer loop of, uh, of Bahrain? Probably not if we if we remain at one race in Bahrain, which is the intent. Um, you know, we're planning on just visiting Bahrain once uh, next season. So, and it's a great track, yeah, the normal track. So, but it's tempting, I must say, <laughs> to the experience we had. And I certainly think the outer loop following on from the main track, you know, a week later was the right decision because I think we would have had a cookie cutter race. Although, as it turns out, obviously, with, with um, having its problems, it would have been a bit different. But I think we would have had a, you know, the same race as... There was no reason for the race to be any different than the first one. Going on a different track was definitely the right decision. And again, one that I was chuffed with. Okay, now, look, if we could just quickly throw it forward to, to 2021. What are you most looking forward to next year? It's a holding pattern, if I'm honest, next year because of COVID. We, we put everything back a year. I would have loved to have had the new car next year, but uh, I think with all the challenges we were facing and reflecting on it, probably the sequencing of what we're doing uh, makes a lot of sense in that we're bringing in the budget control, we're bringing in the budget cap for the first year in a season when teams don't have to build new cars. In fact, they're restricted in what they can do. And I saw statistic the other day that Red Bull was saying more than half their car is going to be carried over. And that's an encouraging sign, quite frankly, because you know, I think that's going to be a more sustainable, economic, economically sustainable future. Mm. So, um, so I think as things have turned out, it's actually quite, it's turned out quite well because we're going to have the, the budget cap and control coming in next season. And then the, you know, the radical new car for, uh, for 22. And um, that's uh, so. I'm not sure we're going to have any massive changes. Some new drivers, obviously, going to be exciting with uh, particularly Mick coming in, which I have a, you know, a lot of uh, enthusiasm and passion for. So that's going to be good. When did you uh, first meet Mick Ross? How old was he when you first met him? <laughs> he was he was literally racing a car, and all you could see was the helmet. I mean, the helmet looked as big as he did. So he, he must have been, you know, three or four or something like that. Because it just looked like this, you know, one of these cartoon cart characters where the helmet's going around on top of the cart. And that was literally all you could see. And, um, you know, his dad's cart centre as it was at the time. So that would have been, how old is he now? He's in his late teens, early 20s. So that must have been 16, 17 years ago. Must be emotional for you as well to see the Schumacher name back. Uh, is that right? Yeah, very much so. And I think it just reminds us of the tragedy of, of Michael's accident because you know, how wonderful it would have been if Michael you know, was able to participate in that. I mean, none of us know how much Michael is able to understand, but um, you know, if, if he'd been part of that, and let's hope and pray that one day he might be because that that would be very very special and uh, and and Mick's doing an amazing job with um, you know under those circumstances and with that famous name opens doors but it brings a lot of weight with it as well so you know the whole family is a it's a great family and lovely family and they and I really hope Mick can um, can succeed and how much are you looking forward to working with Stefano Domenicali again? Very much so, and I mean, it's going to be a different complexion to Chase. Chase has very much been uh, the wise businessman, if you like, in our sport and bringing some sanity to many aspects of our sport and laying the foundations for this future. So under uh, Chase's leadership, we've got the budget cap coming, we've got the new rules coming in, we've got the new Concord Agreement coming in with a much more equitable distribution of uh, price funds. With Chase, you uh, you had a a more sort of open-minded view of racing. I mean, we're all sort of so ensconced in it that you know we tend to look at it in quite an insular way. And and Chase was very good at looking at looking at it from outside. With Chase, the fan comes first all the time. 
it's all about uh, the fan and, and maintaining integrity of the sport. You know, he knew that was, or he knows that's vital. I think we should remind ourselves we're not losing Chase. He's going to be our non-executive chairman. So, you know, he's going to be around and uh, he's going to be coming to races and he'll be able to cherry pick the good ones. I'm sure by now he knows which ones to go to. So, uh, and Stefano will be different to that. I mean, Stefano has obviously run some big businesses now. He was in charge at Lamborghini for a number of years and that's been very successful. And uh, he'll bring that Italian flair. And of course, he is a spend most of his life, working life in Formula One. So he brings that perspective with him. So it's going to be fun because it'll be a different, uh, different complexion on uh, the way things are. But it's been fun and experience working with Chase. You know, someone with a different, uh, different context of things, a different approach. And uh, I think an invaluable approach in this era to, to knock everyone back into shape. Ross, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to catch up. Reflect on the year just gone. And of course, just 96 days until Melbourne. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. But, uh, I hope everyone enjoys their Christmas. We can, I know it's one that we've got to be careful and cautious with. We can't, I think we've all come through this year, very tough year, and it, we all want to be with our families and spend time with them. But we've all got to be so careful this Christmas or else we'll almost be back to square one. You know, we haven't got the vaccines yet. So, uh, but I do wish everyone a great Christmas and with as much time with their families as they can. And uh, particularly the Formula One community, because we've had a heck of a challenge this year and uh, we've come through it. And as I say, I'm sure we're going to be facing uh, similar challenges next year. It'll be a lot better, but it's still going to be a challenge. So uh, thank you, Tom, and best wishes for Christmas and New Year. Always brilliant to hear from Ross Braun. We appreciate his time. Plenty to reflect on. The standout headline, though. What an achievement to put on an international sporting championship in this year. Incredible stuff for Formula One. Brilliant protocols in place. A lot of people have worked some silly hours to deliver our favourite championship. Yeah, here, here. Just a sensational effort by everybody. And I think other sports have learned from Formula One this year. I'm sure, for example, there's a guy leaving the FIA who was uh, in charge of the COVID protocols for the FIA. He's going to the IOC at the end of this year to help with the Tokyo Olympics next year. So other sports are going to learn. They want the expertise learned by Formula One uh, this year. And it's uh, just a wonderful effort. And I cast my mind back to... Austria this year with huge relief and then to think we then went to Monza where you had that was our world championship signed and sealed that was the eighth race of the year I remember there being a sense of relief in the paddock there as well just uh, it's great and I, I think it's going to take a couple of weeks because I think everyone who's been at all of the races is absolutely whacked out at the minute but I think in a couple of weeks time when everyone's had a bit of sleep huge pride I think is what everyone in Formula One is going to feel Absolutely right. One thing that you asked Ross Braun in that chat was his driver of the year. It's time to ask you that question, TC. Who is your driver of the year? Well, Lewis Hamilton, as Ross says, has been sensational, but I am not going to say Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Oh, controversial. But Max Verstappen for me, 11 podiums, two wins. And despite having his nose rubbed in the dirt almost every weekend because let's face it the races have been every weekend he's maintained a sense of perspective he's kept a sense of humor I don't know if you saw on the social media channels at the weekend AJ that you know he's been sat in that third place chair so (laughs) often this year that he's he tried to walk out of the press conference with it Uh, you know so he's he's trying to steal your furniture TC (laughs) it's unbelievable yeah very rude so he, I just think he's, he's nailed it. And I think he's driven absolutely brilliantly as well. As we've said regularly on the pod, Alex Albon is a great racing driver, but he's being made to look pretty ordinary on occasion this year by Max Verstappen, who's driving out of his skin. How about you, my friend? Driver of the year? I think it's clearly Lewis Hamilton, but that's not very interesting for the podcast. So I'm going to go for Sergio Perez. To finish fourth in the Drivers' World Championship, his best result by far, with some incredible drives in there as well. Didn't start the season well, then unfortunately contracted COVID-19. To finish fourth with two missed races 
is absolutely exceptional. And of course, the uh, two retirements out of the last three races, thank goodness that the one that he really needed the engine to hang on for, it did hang on for, a driver deep into his career, seemingly finding incredible form. I think his standard since the middle of the year has been genuinely top, top tier. And he better be on the grid next year. He's so dependable, isn't he? And if there is ever a question of a tyre strategy race, you're surely going to want him in one of your cars because uh, he's one of the tyre whisperers, along with Lewis Hamilton, in Formula One. And what did we see in the Grand Prix that demanded a great knowledge of the rubber earlier this year? Hamilton won, Perez two. And I think that says an awful lot indeed. But Lewis Hamilton, I mean, absolutely ridiculous form. AJ, AJ, before we move on from Perez, do you know which driver he learnt his tyre magic from? I don't know this. Who did he learn from? Quiz. It's a quiz. Kamui (laughs) Kobayashi. No way. That is who he credits. He says when he was at Sauber, Kamui, sensational at looking after his tyres. And he said he changed the way he drove to match Kamui and boom there we go thought Incredible. you needed to know that that's that's why people listen to the nation your silky voice <laughs> and trivia like that TC when we come back the return of an old friend but first it's advert time yes I know some of you out there like this bit of the podcast the most Manscaped have written an ad which basically points out that 2020 not been the best year. What are they selling to you here? A chance for a new start. What do you need? You need to shape up. Have they got the products for you to do that? Yes, they have. So they've got a product for the festive season. It's called the Package 3.0. It comes with the famous Lawnmower 3.0. It's their third generation trimmer. It's waterproof, skin safe, does the job. The third generation trimmer even has a light. And for some reason, and I'm genuinely sad about this, they no longer mention the battery life. Also included in this, the Crop Reserver and the Crop Reviver. They will even throw in a shed travel bag. It's not been the easiest year, and Manscaped make the point that you might want to sharpen up for 2021. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code F1Nation at manscaped.com. That is 20% off and free shipping with the code F1Nation at manscaped.com. And now, back to the pod. Well, AJ, I'm looking at a Christmas haircut down the Zoom. Is that, <laughs> is that a lawnmower 3.0 haircut? I can't believe I'm getting a haircut banter from a man who forced his daughter to shave his head multiple times this year. <laughs> Not with a lawnmower 3.0. And I was just wondering if yours was. But anyway, there we go. It looks very tidy. Uh, what have you been using the lawnmower 3.0 for, TC? It is used to clip my dog's ears. And I th- I'm assuming that's all that's been happening with it uh, whilst I've been away. There you go. The, the listeners needed that. They needed it. They enjoyed it. Listen, you press play on F1 Nation, you know what you're going to get. And now what you're going to get is a review of the season. But TC and I, we're not going to do it alone. It is time to welcome back friend of the pod, Rosanna Tennant. So good to see you both and hear you both and hear you talking about the Lawnmower 3.0. Goodness me, what a time to be alive. Well, poor old Rosanna hasn't heard enough of me yakking on about Formula One this year. So we thought we'd get you on the pod for the final episode of the season. Let's wind it all the way back to July. I'm going to shout out the races. You give me your memories of the year. No wrong answers. We begin with Austria 1, Tom. Relief. That's what I think of when I think of Austria 1. We are going racing. There is a championship underway. I think I was just super impressed that Formula 1 had managed to get the show back on the road. And I think I also felt incredibly lucky to be involved with it. Um, And there was just that moment when all the cars took off on the grid and you just thought, my goodness, we've really done it. We are going racing for 2020. And of course, last lap Lando. Phenomenal lap, maiden podium. Scenario 7, what was not to enjoy? I need a Will Joseph in my life, guiding me through every turn and twist. (laughs) (laughs) We move, thankfully, to Austria too. And what stands out for me, that wet qualifying session. One of the best laps of Lewis Hamilton's career. Dominant stuff. 
a wet qualifying to remember. Yep, sensational. 1.4 seconds quicker, wasn't he? Uh, for me, Esteban Ocon in that qualifying session, really, really strong, gave Daniel Ricciardo a wake-up call. I think also we came into the season and Valtteri Bottas did the usual kind of um, coming in strong to the season. And we all thought, hey, hang on, has Valtteri turned it up? Is he going to be a challenge to Lewis? And then there's Lewis Hamilton right there. And of course, then the wins just kept on coming for Lewis. So we moved to Budapest and, well, it was wet at the start. Yeah, I remember being live on the pre-race show on F1 TV and Max Verstappen going into the barrier. That was just so unlike Max. But yeah, he managed to get back in the groove. The mechanics did the most incredible job to build that car back up so he could start the race. Um, impressive stuff, especially after a back-to-back or triple header to start the season. And to pick up on Max, to then finish second in that race left me thinking we've got a proper world championship on our fights this year. How wrong I was. It's that TC accuracy that he is famed for (laughs) and why he gets the big gigs. Uh, I love the Haas tyre gamble. Mad that it was against the rules. Kevin Magnussen pulled it off. His last points finish in Formula One because they gambled on the Inters early on. And I love it when a team rolls the dice like that. To Silverstone, two races back-to-back, the first of which, well, who wants to take the obvious one? Well, it was tyres exploding, wasn't it? We couldn't believe it. Not just one, but several. And you commentating on those last few laps, Jakesy. Whoa, that was a job and a half for you guys in the comms box. The same thing's happened to Carlos Sainz. The same thing has happened to Carlos Sainz. Ricardo goes through up to fourth position. The tyres are failing at Silverstone. It's Ricardo up to fourth. Norris up to fifth. Ocon, Gasly, Alvin and Stroll will all follow through. Who's that? And is that the other one? It's the, the race leader. One. It's the race leader. It's Lewis Hamilton who's had the same failure. He's been in control of this Grand Prix for so long. And Lewis Hamilton is half a lap away from winning the British Grand Prix. And Max Verstappen is 32 seconds away. What an extraordinary finish here as the world champion tries to limp home on three wheels and Verstappen were on board with him. He's got to have an unlikely opportunity to win this race. So Verstappen is heading down to Cops now. You've got Lewis Hamilton coming out of the exit of Beckett. It's going to be oh so close. Bear if, if that Mercedes is even able to get to the end of this final racing lap. Oh my goodness me, have you ever seen the end of a Grand Prix like this? Hamilton is going to get close, Verstappen's closing in. Lewis Hamilton wins the race with a puncher. Verstappen came in for that pit stop and it cost him the win. Unbelievable, wasn't it, those last couple of laps? But I also think of that race as another brilliant performance by Charles Leclerc. He was on the podium again, P3, having been, what was it, P2 in Austria, in a car that really didn't deserve to be there. Um, A lot of people saying that the gap between Leclerc and Vettel this year is all down to Leclerc getting better equipment. There's a bit of me that thinks Leclerc has just raised his game, and I think Silverstone 1 was an example of that, definitely. He was saying how he's really developed his tyre management this year. I don't think it's just that, but he has been sensational to watch. And he said he has no regrets about the season. Maybe a couple of moves here and there he probably wish he hadn't made, but uh, he's been fabulous to watch. And I just hope Ferrari can give him a package he can really take to the next level next year. One week later, the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. The first Grand Prix in F1 history not to be named after a place and Max Verstappen delivered one of the drives of the season. It was looking a foregone conclusion. It was going to be a Mercedes whitewash. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, the most rare of things, a warm Silverstone day and a drive to remember. I loved watching Valtteri and Max go head to head. And of course, you just come to think that the Mercedes is always going to win out in those circumstances. But no, Max was on it and it was absolute full send for Red Bull. And of course, the first non-Mercedes victory of the year, uh, Max Verstappen doing it in style. I'm going to throw it a little bit further back in the order, Rosanna, to Nico Hulkenberg. He didn't get to start the previous week's race because of a, a reliability issue on the car. And he came home seventh from P3 on the grid. I'm a bit of a Hulk fan, I have to say. And it was just great to see the super sub back in and doing a great job for Checo Perez. Jeepers. after that qualifying lap amazing stuff from the hulk okay don't all shout at once we've reached the blockbuster spanish grand prix should we move on to belgium cool belgian grand prix 
And Lewis Hamilton found himself with a really clever tactical move up the hill. Knew he was going to be under pressure from Valtteri Bottas. What's the difference between a very good driver and a great driver? Knowing how to apply the tactics at the start, he interrupted Valtteri's momentum. And that was basically the end of the battle between the Mercedes. Do you remember Daniel Ricciardo's fourth place in that race? Fastest lap on the last lap of the race. And that was the race when it all started to come together for Renault. They'd been a little bit mediocre up until that point in the year. They unlocked something at that race and they've been strong ever since. So yeah, Daniel Ricciardo's fourth place. The next Grand Prix, where do you even begin? Racing at Monza is always special. And then we get the sort of race where it looks like Lewis Hamilton is going to win by a country mile. And then it all gets out of hand. Kevin Magnussen, pulling up in the wrong spot. Driver of the day. <laughs> or maybe the right spot. Next to the Marshalls, and we said it at the time, I'll say it again, there was definitely a Haas-sized gap in that barrier if they moved the table with their lunch on. Were they going to? No. Did they give us one of the great Grand Prix as a response? Yes. And then I still go back to it, even all these months later, Pierre Gasly. He's not been promoted when he thought he was going to be on the junior ladder. He's had to wait his turn. He's had to go to Japan. He comes back from Japan. He gets his chance. He gets promoted early to Red Bull. Endures a really tough season. People openly slagging him off, saying he can't do it, saying he's not good enough. But he believed he was good enough. And then you've got Carlos Sainz getting closer and closer and closer. Lap after lap. Would he break? No, was the answer. And a maiden winner. We'd forgotten what shot Grand Prix like that were like. And front page of L'Equipe, the sports newspaper in France the next day. Him sat on the podium, head in his hands, disbelief. And a phone call from President Macron as well, I think. He, uh, it was big news. And yeah, everything you've just said, AJ. Wonderful to see him do that. I was particularly thrilled for Carlos Sainz, actually, as well. Because remember Brazil last year, he didn't get to stand on the podium. So this yeah. was a legit one. And I remember his sense of disappointment as he came into the press conference after the race. Because, of course, there was none of the crowd underneath the podium. Monza is normally the best podium of the year because you have a sea of Tifosi underneath you. And of course, that wasn't there this year. But great to see Carlos get one on the podium and such a close race. It's amazing what happens when you take the Mercedes out of it. But let's not forget as well, we had Lance Stroll on the podium that weekend as well. That kind of set up that tight midfield battle. So, yeah, a, a very different podium to what we've become accustomed to. But yeah, Science and Stroll and Gasly, amazing. And someone out there put a pound on that combination of podium. I still not got my check in the post. I need some money. <laughs> Send me money. Hey, Rosanna, for goodness sake. <laughs> Come on. Well, poor old Tom Clarkson, he, he enjoys a tough life. Whilst Rosanna and I were at the coalface at Biggin Hill, he was pouring himself another glass and enjoying the Tuscan Grand Prix. Do you want me to deny that? <laughs> on air preferably yes <laughs> not only was it a glamour location best. TC it was a great weekend for F1 best Grand Prix double header ever Monza Mugello I, I remember Monday morning getting, you remember Monday morning <laughs> I love a Monday morning and I remember getting in the car and just driving from Milan where I was staying for Monza down through Tuscany to Mugello, such a beautiful bit of Italy. Mugello is just sort of nestled in the hills, beautiful Tuscan hills. And uh, I remember bumping into Ross Braun, one of the first people I saw there, and he said that back in the day, he wanted to move the entire Ferrari Formula One team to Mugello, would you believe it? He wanted to separate it away from Maranello and build a factory there. And I was thinking, that would have been a good team to work for, is what I would <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful track. So pleased that Formula One managed to get it on the calendar. And of course, Ferrari's 1,000th race, that's what stands out for me. Uh, they had that sort of dark hue, didn't they? That sort of scarlet colour. And it was uh, very memorable for that. And no doubt you guys are going to talk about crashes and whatever else, but just to be at the home of Ferrari, if you were lucky enough to be there, 
uh, was fantastic. Yeah, it looks sensational. You mentioned that crash. That was a big, big smash involving so many cars. It was just quite frightening, really. But um, managed to get racing and, yeah, a fantastic race. Carlos Sainz properly shook up after that accident. I remember he, he sort of almost looked pale. Uh, it was, he, he properly scared himself because he was flat on the gas and then just the whole world in front of him just stopped and he had nowhere to go. But I want to point out Alexander Albon, who we spoke to after the race, celebrating his maiden podium, the pinnacle of his Formula One career so far, with dinner for one. Amazing stuff. One of the best interviews we've had on F1 Nation all year long. And yeah, there's a load of bitter ex-drivers who have loved lumping into Alex this year. But he's a lovely bloke. He earned his chance and he can call himself a podium finisher no matter what happens in the future. <laughs> it's not just a driving test where you have to be careful where you park. It's also a Formula One Grand Prix before the start of the race. Rosanna, we were on the pre-race show. We were immediately trying to work out Hold on, what's the regulation? What's the regulation? Is that going to be a penalty? It was a penalty. And Lewis Hamilton opened the door for Valtteri. And it was two penalties because he did it twice. That's the sort of mistake you just don't expect from Mercedes to not know the rule book inside out. And you're right, pre-race show, we were looking at the screens, we were talking to people in the gallery, like, what is going on? What has he done? And um, yeah, of course, there was then all the conversations after the race. Would he also get penalty points? Would he not? Yeah, a weird one for Lewis Hamilton there in the Mercedes team. And then back to the Nürburgring, that sunny venue built to encourage tourism to that part of the world. Uh, nothing says, please visit the Eiffel Mountains like a fogged off Friday practice day. Yeah, I was voicing the highlights for FP1 and FP2. Let me tell you, there wasn't much to talk about. <laughs> Go on, tell us what you said. I think I talked about how the medical helicopter couldn't fly, so running was put off. There were lots of puddle cutaways, um, lots of footage of raindrops. Um, we didn't have too many teams out in the pit lane, you know, playing with rubber ducks and boats and things. But yes, it was not an exciting Friday, was it? Oh my God, it was cold. It was co not only wet, but it was properly cold. But it did give us a two-day Grand Prix weekend. And prior to that, we'd all been getting quite excited about Imola, which was coming up in a few races' time, which was a scheduled two-day Grand Prix weekend. It was a roaring success because the race was fab, wasn't it? I think we got a sense of what it might be like to have a two-day weekend, and that, that suits Valtteri Bottas quite well, obviously putting it on pole. And battling really nicely with Lewis Hamilton at the start of the race. And we've also reached the reoccurrence of our favourite feature, super sub, Nico Hülkenberg, who returned at even later notice this time. So he was still in Cologne at nine o'clock on the Saturday morning. I saw him arrive. Brakes were smoking. <laughs> uh, he, he leaps out and wasn't he great wasn't he great actually the way he stepped in and, and at that moment in the year I think a lot of people were thinking Hulk to Red Bull because he was just coming in getting the job done no fuss and he did a great job where did he finish in the race eight my memory from the race is Daniel Ricciardo's first podium for Renault that momentum that I talked about earlier from Spa continuing to build and he didn't do a shoey. I remember being disappointed about that. One of my favourite interviews of the year, Lawrence Barreto, back when he had hair, the glory days, uh, throwing a grenade into Daniel's dreams by going just, uh, he didn't do a shoey, did you? And the look, the look on Danny Rick's face, knowing that he'd missed the moment. If only there was another opportunity later in the year. Da, da, da. Da, da. That's our new jingle. <laughs> there we are, that's it. We've recorded that. That's fine. <laughs> we moved to Portugal for the first Portuguese Grand Prix since 1996. It was a great track. The drivers enjoyed it. We had Lewis Hamilton on the brink of equaling the win record. But before we had that, we had Kimi Raikkonen in another league to absolutely everyone gaining 10 positions at the start, and everyone was raving about it. The onboard is exquisite. Kimmy's reaction, yeah, I don't know what they were doing. Classic Kimmy, first lap to remember. And after that, Carlos Sainz taking the lead of the Grand Prix. And I felt that that was a race that Max Verstappen could have won, I think, if the dice had rolled a little differently. Remember he had that collision with, was it Checo Perez? 
and that that compromised him and I felt without that we might have seen Max do something I mean it sort of summed up Red Bull's year lots of missed opportunities but such a brilliant track have you guys been to Portimao we've only been to Biggin Hill this year <laughs> <laughs> Lewis Hamilton reached the milestone of taking the most Formula One victories of all time, a landmark achievement, one his father was there to celebrate with him. But you mentioned the new circuits, TC. How much did Formula One gain from going to Mugello, from going to back to the Nürburgring, to Portimao, and then to the next race at Imola? Two things. I think for the people involved, uh, the engineers, the drivers, people like that, I think it got them off the treadmill because for the last goodness knows how many years, it's been the same racetracks at the same time of year. So it, it, it presented them with fresh challenges, which I know everybody relished. And then I think from a fan's point of view, from our point of view, just brilliant to see the cars going somewhere different, to see the enthusiasm that I've just talked about from the drivers and the engineers. And uh, yeah, I think, I mean, something that Ross Braun alluded to earlier in that interview is that it was a, a really interesting exercise for Formula One. And I think they will throw in the occasional different track on every calendar now. I'm sure there's the, there's the incentive to do that now. I mean, I loved it. I mean, you must feel, do you feel the same way, AJ? I think there does need to be a variation. I think there need to be a couple of Joker races that every single year change. So you have that variation um, every, once every four years, the outer loop in Bahrain, something like that, going to places that resonate with fans that have history like we did in Imola. It's a great idea for Formula One. And like you say, you don't want it to feel like a treadmill. You want to get people excited on a Sunday. Also, you mentioned the outer loop in Sakir, the, and we're going to come on to that, but, but it's not a great racetrack. There's only four corners worthy of note on that layout. And yet none of the drivers were saying, oh, the track's terrible. They all loved it because it was something new. And the, the entertainment factor with a capital E really shone through at that race. So it doesn't even need to be a great racetrack for everybody to enjoy it. To Imola then, and Mercedes take the Constructors' Championship 1 and 2. Well, Daniel Ricciardo finally put it right with a shoey after a strategic error from racing points. But it was a race where nothing happened for a while and then quite a lot happened at once. Yeah, we had Max Verstappen with that tyre exploding, taking him out of the race. That was super disappointing and obviously helped the likes of Daniel Ricciardo uh, move up the grid. Yeah, unlucky for Max. It goes back to that shoulda, woulda, coulda. So many opportunities just getting away from him and the team. Let's stay with the Red Bull theme. Danny Kvyat coming home fourth after a brilliant overtake of Charles Leclerc in the, in the closing stages and a little bit of shoulda, woulda, coulda as well because for some reason it took him until that point in the season to get happy in that Alpha Tauri. And then there was no stopping him after that, but it was too little, too late, unfortunately, for Danny. It's just so good to see a driver seize the moment. He seemed liberated from the moment that he understood he wouldn't be in the car for next year. Another memory from that race, quickly, is Lewis Hamilton saying that winning the Constructors' Championship means more to him than winning the Drivers' Championship, something he said immediately after the race. Did he say at the race after, though, at the Turkish Grand Prix, when he reached one of the great achievements? There are more races every single calendar year, but championships, we just give out one each year for the driver. His seventh world championship in an extraordinary Turkish Grand Prix where he sat there for, as we heard from Ross Braun earlier on, he sat there patiently and then just destroyed the field with a brilliant performance on the tyres. Classic Hamilton. What a way to seal a seventh title. I think it was the way he spoke about how he had to sort of have a little word with himself and go again, starting from sixth to then take the win. It was just classic Hamilton and it was the perfect drive to take the Drivers' Championship. I'm old enough to remember going to Istanbul Park back in the day when all the drivers loved it. It was high grip, turn eight, touch and go flat. And of course, the new asphalt that we had this year, combined with a little bit of rain, uh, made it like an ice rink. And people like Daniel Ricciardo pretty outspoken afterwards, just saying this isn't Formula One. But for me, it was fantastic Formula One. It was just a, uh, another unknown and the likes of uh, Lance Stroll just got it together in qualifying. He, 
He absolutely blitzed his outlap on the intermediate tyres and set a wonderful pole position, as he seems to do in those sorts of conditions. Remember Monza 2017, he did the same, a similar thing there. Lance is very good over one lap uh, in, in tricky conditions, and he absolutely nailed it. Credit where it's due. There's only one thing we can talk about from the first Bahrain Grand Prix, and that is the definition of relief. We knew that Romain Grosjean was out of the car. We knew that it had been a fireball on impact. And then still, the replay that came our way, one of the most shocking accidents that Formula One has seen in modern times. I think everyone's heart stopped, didn't they, when they saw that impact and the fire. And Jakesy, I don't know how you managed to make it through. Well, I know how you did, because you're a super professional. But to talk over pictures like that must have been incredibly difficult in the commentary box watching it just as a fan during the race was incredibly difficult but what an amazing advert for Formula One and the leap they have made in the safety that they provide and, and give these drivers it it was just oh I felt so proud going home that night after all had been kind of confirmed that everyone was okay and yeah just so proud of the whole Formula One community and especially the stars Dr Ian Roberts and Anna van der Merwe. After Monza I thought we were done with random races Formula One history tells you that you get one random race a year. Suddenly the world champion has COVID. Suddenly George Russell is in the Mercedes. Can he win the Grand Prix on debut with the first realistic chance that he's got? And incredibly, the answer for so many laps of that race was yes. Oh, it was such a sensational story, George Russell. And I was fascinated, actually, on the Thursday before that race, in the press conference, the drivers come in two by two, team by team. And I thought, what sort of George Russell are we going to get today? This is the biggest opportunity of his life. This is literally career make or break. He has to make this work. Is he going to be all nervy and quiet and introspective? Not a bit of it. He was the same George Russell as if he'd been wearing William's clothing. He got all the questions. Valtteri got very few. And he just carried that confidence all the way through the weekend in everything that he did, the way he interacted with his engineers, the way he interacted with the media as a whole, and the way he drove that racing car was just sensational. And there was such a, I mean, obviously horrible for Lewis Hamilton to have COVID, but there was a real feel-good vibe about the Mercedes garage because there was a new story. There was a fresh narrative and uh, people relished it, didn't they? I don't think Valtteri Bottas relished it. That <laughs> was not a good weekend for Valtteri at a point where he needed to pull it out of the bag. I know he pulled it out of the bag in qualifying by a very small margin, but you could really see it was getting to him. And as you say, George just absolutely owned that opportunity. And Jakesy, we were talking over the weekend about how vocal George was on the radio. He knew what he was doing. There were messages there in those radio messages for everybody, not just Bono. Look at how good I am day one. Look at how plugged in I am. Look at the communicator I am. But then to back it up in the race, unbelievable. There's a point at the end of the Grand Prix where... The top four, for the second time this year, hadn't won a Grand Prix. That's the incredible thing. So we've had a year of domination with that one of the best Formula One cars that Formula One has ever seen. But on two occasions in that season, unbelievably, we had a top four who were on for maiden victory. And yet it was Sergio Perez's day. No one in the history of Formula One has gone from last on lap one to win the Grand Prix. Man, did he deserve that because some of his driving from the middle part of the year has been heroic. He has led that team. Uh, he missed out on a podium in Imola. He looked like he was going to deliver another stunning podium, but to get that first victory and give Mexico their first Grand Prix win since 1970, one of the moments of the year. I think he knew he was on for some good results. He spoke to us a few races ago and he said, aims for the rest of the year, well, a couple of podiums in my pocket, that'd be nice. I don't know if he'd have gone as bold as to say a win, but I think he felt he had a few results coming his way. Totally deserved. AJ, like what you were saying earlier about Danny Kvyat and how uh, he seemed to, his driving seemed to exude more confidence after he thought that his chances of staying with the team was over. I felt as soon as Perez told that 
he wasn't going to be retained by Racing Point. He came alive as well and been driving out of his skin. And after the race in, in Saki, the entire paddock, I don't think there was a single person who didn't rejoice in Checo Perez getting that victory after 190 races. Just wonderful. And, and he, he, he also said that in Mexico City, all of the, the cabs are pink. And how uh, apparently they all just parked up in the centre of Mexico City and just everyone was just sat on their horns celebrating <laughs> uh, his victory. So huge for him, huge for Mexico. And as we speak now, we don't yet know whether he's going to be on the grid next year. But I think... Which, knowing this podcast, Luck, is going to be announced in 10 to 15 <laughs> minutes of Tuesday morning. But you know, as I was coming through... Uh, the arrivals at Heathrow this morning. I was with Alex Album. I suppose it's quite a big week for you. Good luck. And he just looked and went, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Bit nervy. Bit nervy. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because either him or Checo is not going to be on the grid next year. And I want them both to be there. We need more teams. Friend of the show, Yuki Sonoda. We're pleased he's having a crack at Alpha Tower, aren't we? <laughs> It's the Christmas klaxon for Yuki Sonoda. I know that there are listeners who play bingo. They've got Yuki bingo, so everyone's shouting bingo at the minute. I mean, some people's hero is Ayrton Senna. Some people look up to Jim Clark, but Tom Clarkson worships at the altar of Yuki Sonoda. You're going to have to stop this next year when he's actually in F1. He's going to be on the show every week. It'll get awkward. You'll be running after for his autograph. And the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix also took place as well. (laughs) Uh, There's one final thing. Well, look, at the beginning, we began F1 Nation. There was something called Challenge Rosanna. And I feel like we should round out the year with a challenge. Are you guys up for it? This is Challenge Rosanna. It doesn't sound like we have much choice from the jingle. No, this is all fun. This is forced fun. I think that's the byword for this podcast, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Your final challenge, because it's not my day today. No, no, no. It's TC's and Jakesy's. To be crowned host of the year, I have a question. Just because of age before beauty. Hang on, who's going to go first then? Hang on. Okay, we'll put TC first. (laughs) Is it fingers on buzzers or what? Fingers on buzzers. Yes, we need a klaxon from each of you. The question is, this was the third season Ferrari didn't lead a lap. Name the other two. 1980. Uh-uh. Oh, 1993. Uh-uh. I'm going to go 1992. Ding, ding. And there's another one. Remember, this is to be crowned host of the year. So AJ's now one point ahead of me, is he? Mm-hmm. So I have You're- to get this next date. Um, Ferrari. I'm just going to let, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let TC say every year. Yeah, and they were rubbish in the early 70s, weren't they? I'm going to have to hurry you now. I'm going to go 72. Uh-uh. Jakesy. Is host of the year, clearly. I don't know the answer to the 70 question but I will take the title of host of the year. <laughs> <laughs> was that oh, dude, the best question it. you could come up with, Ron? Yeah, it was the question that used the stat <laughs> that we had on the PLC yesterday. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was rigged. I'm feeling outnumbered. Look, we've survived Big and Hill. We clubbed together. <laughs> so when was the other year that Ferrari haven't scored a point, uh, won a race? Led a race. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we leave this podcast. <laughs> that's it. It just, fade, it just fades into random ramblings from TC. You're straight off the, TC, you're straight off the plane as well, aren't yeah, you? It's starting to show, isn't it? It's a miracle you've made this much sense. <laughs> 1973 for our avid fans. You probably what know the answer. Near? I knew it was early 70s. I'm going to take half a point. We've upset him. The, fir- the first time we did a rigged quiz on this podcast, TC nearly refused to come back next week. But we are glad you did. Gentlemen, congratulations, Alex Jakes. It's been a pleasure. The final challenge of 2020.
Thanks, Rosanna. Thank you so much for being on the final pod of the year. Rosanna, great to have you on. Great to speak to you. Well, our thanks to Rosanna. TC, we have reached the end of our final episode of the year. That means it's time for State of the Nation. Yeah, that's right. One final completely needless jingle for you on this podcast. It has been a terrific amount of fun. What stood out for you uh, during the last 33 episodes crammed into the entire racing season, over 50 interviews from the good and the great of Formula One. What has been your highlight, TC? Talking to you, AJ. Just think, that's about two days of my life I've spent staring at you down a Zoom call (laughs) (laughs) to produce the show. Uh, It's been wonderful. We've had some wonderful guests haven't we um i I mean also i love how some of the grandees of our sport can disagree so much i remember talking to damon hill do you remember in austria earlier in the year and he was telling us why vettel shouldn't retire and he should keep going and what a great asset he is to a team a few weeks later we had eddie jordan on who said absolutely vettel must retire (laughs) so it's just, it's just one I love, but I've just loved speaking to all of the people. And uh, I have I got a highlight in terms of one interview? I'm going to go for Daniel Ricciardo. Always a pleasure to speak to him. Do you remember he just arrived back in Europe from Australia when we got hold of him? Really excited. He just made his decision about McLaren and we were all going, oh my gosh, why has he jumped? And yet he was so honest and candid and such a laugh. So that's Danny Rick. AJ, who's your choice? Oh, there can only be one man. My childhood hero, Mika Hakkinen. When you get a chance to hear the person that you cheered for as a kid explain the moment that had you running around your living room as it's just the stuff of dreams. Uh, normally, done a lot of interviews um, in various different jobs. And normally you come out of interviews and even if it goes well, I think the predominant feeling is like... If you've got a big interview, the predominant feeling is relief. When we finished talking to Mika, I was genuinely like, that was fantastic. AJ, that was so funny, that interview, because you didn't tell me prior to speaking to Mika (laughs) that he was your childhood hero, did you? And so you're very professional. I remember him talking to you, talking through the overtake at Spa in 2000. Mika disappears off the Zoom call. And then suddenly you just interrupted. It was like, TC, you have no idea. <laughs> wonderful, I, wonderful memory. I wasn't going to let you stitch me up, mate. Uh, <laughs> but that was I, just to hear it's such an iconic moment retold by one of the protagonists. Uh, it doesn't get better than that. Big thanks to everyone who has been on this podcast and given up their time so willingly because we really appreciate it. And so many interviews this year. It hasn't always gone to plan, though, has it, mate? Uh, hasn't it AJ tell me more well it's been pretty relentless this season and a couple of times I may may have got the timings of interviews slightly wrong Uh, major apologies to Antonio Giovinazzi and George Russell (laughs) I'm going to step in here yes so we all agree a time to speak to uh, these people and but of course Formula One moves around different time zones doesn't it AJ the time zones were not that complex (laughs) And for those of you asking why Alan Vandermeer and Ian Roberts, after their Bahrain heroics, sounded like that they were in a fish tank, <laughs> it's because I forgot to press record on their device. But there you go. And actually, I bumped into them uh, the following day and they said, gosh, what, what happened? What happened? And I said, oh, I, I, I made a mess of it. And uh, they said, just you should have come and we would have re-recorded it. Re-recorded it. CC, what they actually said was... (laughs) 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 Oh, what nonsense. (laughs) So that is it from us for 2020. We've loved it. I hope you guys and girls listening have as well. We will be back with F1 Nation next year, but it's going to have a slightly different feel uh, because AJ... 
it's not just a time zone issue this time. You're not turning up at all next year because you're off to pastures new, mate, aren't you? Yeah, off to Channel 4 and really looking forward to that challenge. But want to say a huge thank you to Andrew Diggle, to Johnny Reynolds, who uh, let us speak to you every single Tuesday or wherever you listen around the world. So many comments around the world, but I want to thank you most of all, TC. It has been a very weird experience suggesting something and testing then getting it up and running and then speaking to you every monday morning both of us exhausted both of us probably needing a break from the sound of our own voice and yet what is the better to do than discuss the grand prix with a mate and uh i've really really loved it me too mate absolutely loved it and best of luck with channel 4 next year i've told everyone i know at channel 4 that they're getting an absolute gem We'll have to think of something to do with F1 Nation now. Well, how about this, TC? A final goodbye from you. Goodbye, folks. It's been a pleasure. And a final goodbye from me. Thanks so much for listening. This has been F1 Nation this year. He will speak to you next. The Formula One Grand Prix in Melbourne has been officially cancelled. We're all disappointed to not have it, but these are challenging times, and I think we've made the decisions we have to make. We will race again. 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 Welcome back to your favorite thing about Sunday. Welcome back to Formula One. He's trying to go round the outside and Hamilton hits him again. Lucky to keep the front wheel attached when you pass like that. Here we go then. Lewis Hamilton's first sector is mind-melting his glass. It's even quicker. That is absolutely extraordinary. Oh, there's a huge crash there. That is one of the scariest accidents I have seen for some time. My word. Around the outside, Pierre Gasly leads a Serene for Lewis Hamilton. It's chaos absolutely everywhere else. Painful stuff for Formula One's most famous team. There's no grip there, George. He's into the gravel. Oh no, it's all falling apart. Sunday afternoon masterclass from Lewis Hamilton. Lando Norris is closing in on board with Lando Norris. He's going to get him in the final corner of the Grand Prix. Unbelievable. Verstappen is going to breeze to the inside. Can he retake the lead that he had? You bet he can. But oh, big one. Big one into the wall for Charlotte. Look at Max Verstappen here in the wheel track. He's missing the front wheel. There's a problem there for Battery Bottas. And the same thing's happened to Carlos Sainz. It's Lewis Hamilton, who's had the second failure. Lewis Hamilton wins the race with a puncher. Keepers. Lance Stroll's done it by a second and a half. having one of the drives of his life right now. How much does George Russell want this one? There's your answer. George Russell on the charge. Looks like really puncture. No! Oh, I don't know what to say. It's going to amount to nothing for George Russell. You are really watching Sergio Perez winning Sakir. Oh, the big crash in the background there. That's massive. That is massive. Seven in a row for that magnificent Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton reaches the summit and becomes a seven-time world.